0: Hello and welcome to a new series of Keep It Civil, the engineering podcast from UCL Civil Environmental and Geomatic Engineering. We're now back for series two and for our first episode we're joined by Gennaro Senatore who's an NHD researcher at USAR here at UCL which is the Centre for Urban Sustainability and Resilience Um, and we're here to talk about adaptive building structures and keeping things stiffer, lighter and slenderer. So uh, Gennaro you've developed this new design philosophy, really, of adaptive building structures rather than passive building structures. I know the, the work was sponsored by EPSRC and by Expedition Engineering. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, first of all, about the, the philosophy and, and what is it really? What do you mean by adaptive building structures?
1: Yeah, sure, Max. Thanks for the introduction. Um, the difference between passive structures and adaptive structures is um, conceptually different in, in structural engineering design. Uh, So rather than using uh, only passive resistance so that buildings don't get annoyed by loads Mm -hmm. uh, when they happen, for instance, storms or earthquakes, uh, there is a way to use uh, a hybrid system that comprises of passive and active uh, elements working together uh, so that the overall structures can have adaptive uh, capabilities and... Uh, be more efficient. And so the uh, the methods I developed uh, allows uh, to design such structures mm-hmm. so that at the expense of uh, some operational energy, which is the power that you need to um, make the active system uh, be operational, mm-hmm. then you can have uh, substantial savings in the material mass.
0: Okay. So the the current methodology is, is passive and so what, what do we mean by passive it just means that it's it's designed to a certain level and then it kind of stays that way right
1: what happens is yes exactly <laughs> like that but what happens is that the structure uh ends up being over designed because okay. of that reason because we can't predict exactly the magnitude of a type of event mm-hmm. say an earthquake or like a snow Load uh, loads or some very strong windstorm, mm-hmm. uh, then we, we had to assume to work with very high-level uh, loads that might never happen over the lifetime of the structure. And so, okay. because the structure is just passive, yeah. then we have to design for that, and so mm-hmm. they end up being very chunky and bulky. Okay. While instead, if you had an adaptive structure that could be designed uh, so that the passive part withstand... Uh, just normal day loading, for mm-hmm. instance, just gravity, right? I mean, it, 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 it has enough stiffness, it's stiff enough to resist day-to-day load, and also in terms of strength, the uh, rare and uh, high-level loads. Mm-hmm. But in terms of stiffness, it doesn't have to be that stiff. That means that it's the active part that will make sure that the structure doesn't deform or displace too much. When these higher level loads are, are going to hit, and so structure.
0: how d- how exactly does the, the the adaptive structure work, and what kind of what kind of technologies you are you using to to make these things work?
1: So, the technology uh, used that mainly part of uh, sensors uh, and actuators. Mm-hmm. In a sense that you really need to have a, a, you know a way to monitor the state of your system, and for civil engineering structures, it goes normally. Into the realm of displacement, deformation, acceleration, velocity of different points in the structure. So mm-hmm. you need to have a way to understand how your structure is behaving yeah. uh, when an external load hit it, and then you need to have a few active elements that are embedded in into the structure, like they will, so they kind of replace or they are fitted or they are integrated as part of a normal what would be a passive column, Mm -hmm. it becomes, for instance, an actuator that can expand or contract. And so in so doing, doing, you can start changing the flow of forces Mm -hmm. inside the building. And you can actually, I mean, if you have a few of these actuators that expand and contract, for instance, that are fitted into a structure, you can change the overall shape. So why would you want to change the shape? Again, because when... Let's say that the analogy that someone hits you with, with a punch, right? Mm-hmm. Your immediate reaction is that you stiffen yourself by stiffening your core mm. and your dorsal muscles, right? So imagine if a building had a muscular system that would allow it to do so, it wouldn't have to be that heavy, that chunky anymore because you would know how to react against that event that okay, for yeah. that moment and for in that five minutes is it, it, trying to annoy. It. Uh, and, and so you can make huge savings out of that. Yeah. In terms of mass and energy. Yeah. Overall energy.
0: And so yeah, so you're basically just chopping out a lot of the mass, replacing it with actuators, which then And so that's where the savings comes in. That's
1: where the saving comes yeah. in and also it comes from the strategic distribution of the actuators okay. and the mass. So they work together. The methods I develop finds out a way to distribute mass and active system simultaneously so mm-hmm. that it becomes an integrated system and the result of that is that at the expense of uh, a little of operational energy you can save a lot of embodied energy which if you want is a replacement of 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 material mass mm-hmm. in in a way embodied energy is a lot more than just material mass but in this context yeah. is is material mass
0: And out of interest where where did this idea and this philosophy come from in the first place I and mean, were you were you walking along and you saw a column and you thought you know this doesn't need to be as big as it is so
1: it started from the there's a long history in research that goes back to the 60s and 70s mm. where the idea if you want is quite simple like i mean why things have to be that big uh, just because we can't predict uh, what if they could be adaptive so mm. the idea is about 30 40 years old the implementation of this idea has challenged challenge us and continues to challenge us, mm. actually, uh, because, because, of course, I mean, they, there is a risk perception uh, associated to you having buildings fitted with um, modern technology such mm-hmm. as, you know, like controlling equipment and electronics and actually there's a moving part. Uh, and also, so far, the focus has been on uh, uh, vibration suppression, so it was really about saying, OK, we, we, you know, they, is there a better way to dissipate the energy when uh, an excitation is applied on a building or, or, or happens to uh, shake a building, like for, for instance, like an earthquake? Mm-hmm. My contribution to this thinking is that although there are a few other people that have looked into uh, the material saving that an, that an adaptive system could give you, uh, no attention was given to the fact that, yes, it's true that you can make some savings in terms of mass, but you also might have a huge expense in terms of energy mm. or the energy that actually the overall system has to use. Yeah. So what's the way to keep both the uh, mass and the operational energy to a very bare minimum? What's, okay, the, yeah. what's the optimum in the domain of possible solutions that you might have, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what my method does. It finds that optimum. Solution okay. in, in 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 this context.
0: And uh, here at UCL, you um you built a, a prototype as a way of validating and, and illustrating this philosophy. Um, can you tell us a little a little bit about your your prototype?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So. Out of this, uh, I mean, out of these methods, obviously, we run a few computer simulations, mm. uh, exploring all sort of shapes and buildings. For instance, we even done case studies going from the Gherkin, which oh, wow. is a, a, yeah. kind of a famous uh, sort of well-known building in London, mm. uh, to the double cup shell or simple trusses or space frames mm-hmm. or all sort of like lens and shapes and, and then what we could find that there, there are substantial consistent savings in all these situations. So there isn't just one case where uh, we don't have uh, a good uh, saving. And so we thought it would be worth to build something uh, real, like a physical mm-hmm. system yeah. where we could validate numerically uh, the simulation. So uh, two years ago, we started the construction of this if you want, it's an adaptive space frame. It's an adaptive truss or Mm -hmm. space frame. It is a six meter cantilever uh, sort of platform that Mm -hmm. is designed to, so that someone can work on top of it. But the, um, the, the, the why is quite unusual is that it's six meter long and it's, it cantilever, so it means that it's supported just on one side. Okay. Uh, And it is super slender. It is like uh, 150 millimeter Uh, in depth so that means there is a 40 to 1 span to depth ratio Mm -hmm. which is really really uh, high Uh, if you think that the highest for instance is the highest skyscrapers in the world is probably 8 to 1 or 5 to 1 so it kind of gives a glimpse of where you can push structures nowadays in terms of how slender how Mm. thin how uh how they could be uh and this could be applied to bridges or to skyscrapers or to shells for mm-hmm. instance as well uh and the the way the prototype is instrumented is by using uh strain gauges uh, that are embedded into the elements of the structure a strain gauge is a sensor that monitor how those elements are deforming mm-hmm. was what's the amount of like stretching or squashing to to put it you know yeah. in, bear, in bear terms, yeah. uh, that is happening to those elements and out of that information you can reconstruct how the structure is deforming in space when someone works on it or mm-hmm. when anything happens to it like I mean if you're pushing from one end or if you just hang it from one end and 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 then he also has ten linear actuators embedded mm-hmm. so that, so those are the muscles whereby the system can readapt and change shape and then of course there's a there's, there's, uh, few control hardwares and computers that they work to, to together uh, uh, with, with an algorithm that I developed to control it mm-hmm. uh, which is actually based on the same design method that we just yeah. discussed and we, we proved by measuring uh, the power that it takes to Control a few loading scenarios that are typical for for buildings mm-hmm. uh, uh, over over fifty years uh, lifetime. Uh, we could verify with a very good uh, resolution the computer simulation that we did. There were just a difference of like five ten percent. So it turns out that the savings that we predicted at like ten percent uh, lower with respect to re, to, what oh, we, okay. to what we have. So yeah. we could actually validate and verify that this method produces structure uh, like in the region of what you would expect to happen. And of course, you are dealing with probabilistic sort yeah. of events, so there is an element of approximation that you mm-hmm. need to accept. Of course, but, yeah. But we yeah. were quite satisfied uh, with the result given. And the fact that if you want to uh, solve the same problem of being cantilevering for six meters and allowing a person of about 100 kilos to work from the end to end... If you just use a conventional I beam, which mm-hmm. is one of those beams using buildings uh, with an I type of section,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, that okay. will weigh yeah.
1: probably eight times as much uh, and be two times as thick. And so you verify that we have 80% saving with respect to the I beams. Mm. And then when you compare it against the same structure, but optimized with the state of the art already existing optimization method mm-hmm. thus the adaptive solution still saves about 40% with respect to the optimized passive so it really shows that there is quite a jump uh, that could be made yeah. uh, and which is why we think that it could be applied to uh, structures where the deformations are difficult to control so everything that is lender from mm-hmm. bridges to skyscrapers uh, and to other sort of uh, similar type of structures or where the uh, the loads are particularly uncertain and that's why you have to design the structure against something that is very high in terms of magnitude but it might never mm, uh, yeah. occur
0: yeah.
1: then this method and the and, and in general the idea of adaptive structure distinctively qualify for the situation which mm. cover the majority of the uh, <laughs> of yeah. the design I mean of, yeah, the, yeah. of what happens in the industry anyway. so yeah.
0: And for for any keen beans who who quite want to see what what Gennaro's prototype looks like, we'll put some links in the show notes so you can see some uh, some videos and some pictures as well. Um, you mentioned that what you one of the things you were trying to do was to reduce the mass, but also reduce that energy use down. As that was that was one of the problems yeah. in the in the prototype. How did you manage to to keep the energy use down yeah. as well?
1: Yeah. So that's uh, that's a good question to explain how it works in terms of. Uh, so the idea behind the whole method is that the the structure doesn't need the active elements to work all the time. Okay. It only they only need to work until they finish to control it and to push it back to a reference state, mm-hmm. meaning a reference sort of position that for you is considered to be safe and operational. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, they can just lock.
0: Oh, and then they don't need the power anymore. And then you, and you it's, just it's, cut the power. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so, when the event that is loading the structure finishes, then they they naturally sort of unlock and and they kind of do the opposite in a controlled way you would have mm-hmm. done, and so that you you spend a little bit more energy to go back to the uh sort of unloaded yeah. state if you wanna if you if you want call it that way. so the whole thinking is that you only really use it when you need it, mm-hmm. and that 's possible. Because of this simultaneous di- distribution of passive stiffness and active stiffness, if you wanna think in in that way. So not that having the skeleton on his own can't really uh, st- uh, stand up and we stand mm-hmm. alone, but it, it can it can do it because of the muscles, but the skeleton itself also has some uh, uh, very good uh, strength and stiffness properties on mm-hmm. his own. Uh, right so yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a similar approach just to make an analogy that might be a reference but mm. uh, i mean of course it's different from being a human but uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: but, yeah. <laughs> and so uh so what's next for for you and for this design philosophy that you're trying to push forward
1: yeah there are a few approaches that we're considering and uh, um one of which is to try to extend these methods that uh that i developed to continuous type of structure so for instance uh, shells and so if you go into that domain you have to work with different type of actuation mm-hmm. uh, you have to work with distributed actuation so maybe you want to consider fibers or solid state actuation and also in terms of control whether we can improve the the control by using uh, artificial intelligence which, which was actually used also in this prototype mm-hmm. there is a part the control system is is uh, is made of two parts. One is based on, on a physical model that is built into that, and then there is a correction that happened using a technique born by machine learning. Uh, and so, continuing on that path, where you you can achieve an intelligent, adaptive control itself, mm-hmm. or the trust that could start responding to totally unpredicted uh, loads. That is it's another avenue as well mm-hmm. and uh, the the third more perhaps practical avenue is to uh, try to build an even larger uh, scale prototype mostly to prove to ourselves and, uh, and the, that there the aren't scale issues that we haven't considered mm-hmm. uh, and so you know if you could do something that is building size let's say like 20 30 meters tall that that you know it would be a very good validation yeah of what we've done further validation because the prototype already kind of does it because it's yeah. six meter i mean it's already quite sizable but of course i mean uh if you can do something larger uh it would work also for the industry to buy into it a mm-hmm. bit more and perhaps even like adopt it
0: Oh, well, uh, thanks very much genaro you can uh, we'll find out more about Gennaro's project and the, the prototype and the uh, the design philosophy. Um, there's a few links down in the show notes. Um, you can follow Gennaro on Twitter. He's at G underscore Senatore. You can follow USAR as well on Twitter at UCL underscore USAR and see what other NGD researchers at the centre are uh, working on. And Expedition Engineering are at exp underscore eng uh, on Twitter as well, so you can find out what, what other projects they've got in the pipeline. Uh, we are with civil environmental and geomatic engineering don't forget to follow us on twitter as well at CEG underscore ucl Um, you can listen to series one uh, on itunes or on soundcloud which is soundcloud.com slash cg underscore ucl and that's quite enough underscores for for one episode so uh, (laughs) thanks very much for listening and thanks Gennaro.
1: thank you